0: Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen, and co-hosting with me today is our friend and heritage expert, Brenda Hefera. Brenda, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here, as always. (laughs) Well, and joining us for the first time ever today is Mallory Finch, the host of Those Other Girls podcast. Mallory, welcome. Thank you. I'm so
1: excited to be here
0: are really excited to have you Mallory and I we we have bumped into each other at many conferences at the march for life outside the supreme court and uh, I have watched uh, her podcast on you know social media and all of the amazing things that she does and finally we are making this happen she is joining the show so Mallory it is just a joy to have you here. And one of one of the things that our shows have in common that we both have a passion for is the life issue. So I think we all did a little bit of another happy dance celebration this week when we started to see some numbers come out about the number of lives that are estimated to have been saved since Roe v. Wade was overturned. The New York Times, they published a piece on Sunday reporting that they estimate that 10,000 fewer abortions have taken place since Roe Roe v. Wade was overturned Uh, I mean Mallory when you heard this news were you surprised
1: I was not surprised I was excited but then also 10,000 is a huge number very grateful but we still have thousands more Um, I live in North Carolina for example and absolutely nothing changed Um, the pro boards had like 15 marches since then But literally, I don't know why they're marching because, you know, nothing's changed in North Carolina, but you can have an abortion up to 20 weeks in North Carolina. So there's still, I mean, thousands of babies are still dying. So, you know, it's exciting, the 10,000 number, but then there's still more. There's more that can be done. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and I I think that that is the important conversation uh, to keep having is that. Wait a second. Like Roe v. Wade being overturned. Amazing victory. Hundred percent worth celebrating. But the work doesn't stop there. It continues. It continues. Yeah. And we're going to talk more about that in in this show today because there is so much work left to do. But Mallory, I don't want to interrupt you. Jump in.
1: Well, I was just going to say, and I always go back and forth with like, okay, excited, rejoicing, because like these are good things. Um, And sometimes it's hard to remember. Like we also, we can be excited about what's happened so far, especially um, people who get frustrated with the incremental changes. So like here this number than this number like yes we want it to be completely illegal but we can also rejoice when it's a little bit here and a little bit there too i just Mm -hmm. wanted to add yeah
0: no i think that's important that's super important well brenda we are talking more about the life issue the fight ahead abortion in the show today among several other things go ahead let us know what we have queued up
2: while well, up on today's problematic women, election day is less than a week away and abortion is on the ballot in four states. We tell you what you need to know. Plus, social media lost its mind this week after the Atlantic suggested it's time to forgive and forget about all the craziness that happened during the pandemic. And if you're thinking of visiting Montpelier anytime soon, You may want to think again. We'll tell you why. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to
0: find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are so often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left.
2: If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference.
0: All right, let's get to it. Tuesday is election day. I don't know what you all usually do, but I usually try and wake up around 6 a.m. so that I don't have to stand in line for like two hours to be able to vote, try and beat all my neighbors to the polls. Um, And if you don't know where your polling place is, just this is a a quick for free PSA. um, There's a great website that you can visit called vote.org. And you can type in your address and it'll show you where your polling place is. Um, and also we'll show you like what is on your ballot. So make sure that, that you have a plan to go vote um, and make sure that you know who the candidates are, what they stand for, what their views are. And specifically, if you live in Kentucky, California, Vermont, Michigan or Montana, you are in a state that is asking voters to decide how you move forward in one way or
2: another on the issue of abortion. In Kentucky, voters will be asked to vote yes or no on a constitutional amendment that would clarify that there is no right to abortion in the Kentucky state constitution. So Kentucky, they are the
0: only state with a pro-life constitutional amendment that is a ballot initiative. Uh, Montana is voting on a measure that would protect babies born alive after botched abortions. But the other three states, California, Vermont, and Michigan, they
2: are all voting on um, a similar style of constitutional amendment. California, Vermont, and Michigan voters will be asked whether language should be added to their state constitution that declares a right to abortion exists within the document. And what this means is that if voters in these states
0: say, yes, our constitution provides a right to abortion, they vote for that, protecting the unborn in Michigan, Vermont, and California, it's going to be almost impossible. Now, I, I know for both of you um, that this is an issue that is, is near and dear to your hearts. Do you all have um, thoughts about, you know, what is taking place in these states post-Roe? What, what stands out to you when you think about Michigan, Vermont, and California and what is really being decided here? Mel, I want to jump to you first.
1: What stands out to me is honestly how confusing the language is to an average voter. Mm. Um, already, if you you know do look at statistics, people don't even flip to the second half of their ballot, and then these um, measures are always at the bottom, and they're these long paragraphs, and the average voter is like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, and they're going to look at the name if they even if they look at it, they'll look at the name. And then they'll be like, hmm, yes, no, yes, no, and then decide. So I just I really hate that some of the language is kind of confusing um, for the average voter. People like us and probably a lot of our listeners, we really care. So we're you know doing the research, we're sharing the things and um, we we know what we're going to vote for before we even go. Because I bet you the average voter doesn't even know that this is going to be on their ballot. They're probably going to get there. And if they do flip it over, they're going to look and be like, whoa, what's this? And then they'll make their decision. So that's kind of frustrating and a little bit concerning. Hopefully, yeah. the people in the States that are specifically the pro-lifers are going out and getting their message out and are sending out mailers and, you know, doing commercials and things like that to um for the pro-life um side of the argument. Um, That's the first thing that sticks out. The second thing is, you know... I really wish that, I mean, Roe v. Wade being overturned is great. It went back to the states. I really wish it could just be a blanket. Um, Abortion is illegal instead of having to vote to decide because, you know, we don't vote to decide other forms of murder. Um, So that's Mm -hmm. also a little bit like, uh, okay, I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess this is better than it completely being legal, I guess, but it's just, yeah. it's kind of We've like... We've taken oh, a step we...
0: in the right direction. <laughs> exactly. But, we are yeah. taking the right direction. Yeah. We
1: just need everyone to, and it's also interesting, you know, California, Michigan, and Vermont, I can kind of take a guess, an educated guess, at where they're going to land. Um, <laughs> and Kentucky, too, probably. I can take an educated guess, but, so that part's kind of discouraging because, um, unless there's like a blanket, illegal, um, stance of abortion in america there's still going to be states that until we can change culture because i think right. that i think it's possible until we can change culture there's still going to be states that um are going to have abortion and we know california and new york as well they're going to have it as long as they can um they've they've said it mm-hmm. california has even said that they will help you uh leave your state yeah. they'll pay abortion for tourism. your hotel. yeah they'll do all that so i mean that's yeah crazy it is crazy i don't know how else to say yeah crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah i would agree i mean some of the language is so vague in these amendments and other people have pointed out of course that the right to sterilization the right to reproductive rights is not going to just apply to abortions but there are going to be issues with transgender medication mm-hmm. and hormones as well with the way these amendments are phrased so i think a lot of people will not be aware of that and and there's a little bit of an issue of actually trying to get the informed consent of voters rather than giving a little bit of a bait and switch and making the language so deliberately vague but one of the issues i would be concerned about with constitutional amendments state constitutional amendments on abortion is if this is recognized as a right, it's then the state going to be forced to enforce that right and also fund it. Mm. So that Ooh, is really yeah, an issue of conscience for a lot of people of their tax dollars going to fund other people's abortion. Yeah. And like everyone on this call, I think a lot of people have a an objection of conscience to that being the case.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's that's so true. And from experience, we know when a state embraces abortion, that almost always means that some portion of tax dollars are going Mm -hmm. towards Mm -hmm. abortion.
2: Right. And often um, with Planned Parenthood, they'll say, well, there's this bucket that goes to the funding of abortion and the rest of it goes to medical care for women. And it's really not that easy to draw a hard line between the funding of an institution because mm-hmm. there are operating costs, there are salaries for employees that really go into the same bucket. Yeah. So it's a little bit disingenuous to draw make that, that argument. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was gonna say really quick too is um, talking about the funding of it. When I've had conversations with people and um people who consider themselves you know personally pro-life but pro-choice one thing that uh, consistently across the board is people no matter what though they don't want to fund it even if they are quote-unquote pro-choice they don't want to fund it so i think that's a very important thing to think about too that you mentioned that you know if the state is if it's in the constitution then we could be funding it ourselves yeah so true well i
0: i think um on the topic of abortion i was really fascinated Earlier this week, um, that Anne Hathaway, she joined the View, and she she had some interesting things to say about abortion. Uh, I was I as an actress, I really really respect Anne Hathaway. I think she's a phenomenal actress. But I was a little bit discouraged by what she had to say on abortion because she said that abortion could be another word for mercy. Take a listen. May I just say one other thing? And just uh, without going into too many details, my own personal experience with abortion, and I don't think we talk about this enough, abortion can be another word for mercy. We don't know. We don't know, it's not a world in which, we know that no two pregnancies are alike and it Mm -hmm. follows that no two lives are alike, that follows that no two conceptions are alike. Mm -hmm. So how can we have a law? How can we have a a, a point of view on this that says we must treat everything the same? And where I come at it from is when you allow for choice, you allow for flexibility, which is what we need in order to be human. So I wanna get y'all's thoughts on this because, you know, I. The way that I essentially heard what Anne Hathaway said, how it comes across to me is abortion could be merciful because it's preventing a child from entering a potentially very hard life or it's preventing a woman from having increased challenges in her own life, uh, which you know, of course we can have so much compassion for those challenges, but I, I just can't figure out how you can condone the termination of a life because of concerns over difficulty within life. and What what were y'all's thoughts as, as you heard Anne Hathaway say that abortion could just be another word for mercy?
1: I, like you said earlier, I have a lot of respect for Anne Hathaway when it comes to being an actress. Princess Diaries is one of my favorite <laughs> yes. movies. Yes. Um, <laughs> and this is just another discouraging thing that a celebrity has said. Um, I think that the idea of it being mercy comes from a very, I hate to use the term selfish because there are people who, for example, I'll use poverty, perfect example. Some people are in a situation that it would be very difficult to have another child. That is an absolutely valid stance. Um, Children are a blessing and it can also be very difficult, especially if you're in the situation by yourself and you don't have a community. So I don't want to say that it sounds very selfish. But I don't really know another word to describe um, that mindset because at the end of the day, let's say you do um, have an abortion, you're still going to be in poverty, which is, once again, sad and it is terrible. It's not a situation I would want to put someone in, but nothing changed. Right. You're you know in poverty before the baby. You'll be in poverty after you have um, murdered your child. So I think that when I hear people say that, I always think what I just said, and I also think like what should happen is like you reach out to community. Like there are pregnancy resource Mm -hmm. centers that are begging to help you. They want to help you so badly. There are churches in my own um, personal experience. My mother, she is a missions director for a church in my hometown. And I have seen what happens when someone reaches out to a church that is in a situation like that. I'm thinking of a particular situation now, but in a situation like that, and the church steps in and helps Um, And not just, you know, giving you diapers, but also, oh, okay, so you're having a problem with the job. Let me look at your resume. Okay. Oh, do you Mm. need clothes for that interview? Here you go. You need a babysitter. Let's see who on our list. Okay, we have this person. She's retired. She can help watch your children while you're doing this. So like, that's really what should happen in that situation. So that's what I always think of when I hear people talking about, well, they're going to be born into this situation. What we can do is we can look at the situation and work to eliminate the situation. We don't have to eliminate the child because at Mm. the end of the day, the child has already been, the child's already there. You know, if the child's in your stomach, it's already alive. It's already there. So, you know, the steps that you could have taken before have, were not taken. So you, you know, the child's here. What is the situation? Poverty? Let's reach out to somebody. Um, You feel like you're alone? Let's get you a community. This is, I think that's the way that we'll solve it. That's how, people won't feel as if it's merciful or even um, another situation. Sorry, I'm going a long one, but last <laughs> no, thing. No, no, you're on it. I love it. <laughs> even another situation such as like, you know, someone's going to be born with um, a medical situation. Once again, this is where your community comes in. I cannot I cannot imagine how difficult that would be to carry a child and the child has all these other medical issues. But once again, this is when your community comes in. And I heard someone say this and I'll just never forget it. Isn't it more loving for you to give birth to your child and the child, like, you know, passes away in your arms, like in someone that loves it and cares about it. Then for someone to go in and rip the baby to pieces, like, isn't it more loving, more humane to like hold your child? And, you know, I just, someone said that. And I just, I can't stop thinking about that. Cause I, I think that's just, that's so, that's very true. And I think that that it's hard. I'm not going to act like it's not difficult. It's hard But it's selfless. I think that was such a selfless thing to do that for your child. And, you know, if you believe life begins at conception, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, Such
2: such great points. Yeah, I think this this reminded me of the bill in um, Montana that is up, which would allow medical care for children that were that have been that the doctors have tried to abort it and the mother have tried to abort it and there was a botched abortion abortion and that child is alive mm-hmm. and sometimes the policies are that legally healthcare providers can't help that child which is just a heartbreaking scenario of either a nurse holding a child in her arms or worse leaving that child on a table and letting it Die, yeah. which is just a terrible, terrible scenario. So, and I, I would imagine, incredibly heartbreaking for such healthcare workers who have taken a vow to help people and have dedicated yeah. their lives to providing healthcare. So mm-hmm. that's that's an awful scenario. But um, on what Anne Hathaway had to say, I found it kind of disturbing that she immediately pivoted and said, "We're not talking about a moral issue here." We're just talking about health care and providing women mm-hmm. with health care. You and can't separate the right. two. that's just it's just not true. I mean, this is the crux of the abortion issue is is this unborn child a human being? Is this a life or is it not? This can't mm-hmm. be spun, it's just a healthcare procedure. This is not getting you getting your tonsils removed. Mm. Or any kind of other healthcare procedure. So that's where we need to meet this issue and decide mm-hmm. as Americans. And then we also, th- it doesn't stop there, as Mal was mentioning, like there are other considerations of providing help for the woman who is pregnant and perhaps in a difficult situation. It's not that we simply leave her and don't have an obligation towards her mm-hmm. and the community doesn't have an obligation towards her. There are realities of it's its difficult to raise a child and you need help. And so we need to also be cognizant of those things. Yeah,
0: these are critical fights. And in the next couple of weeks on the show, we're going to be keeping you all updated as far as you know what happened, in these elections and regarding specifically these these ballot amendments, because um, it's really a critical time as we're deciding as a country how are we moving forward in protecting our most vulnerable population, the unborn. Um, all right, so up next, we're going to talk about why social media just lost its mind this week over a piece in The Atlantic. Um, but before we get to that, I want to take just a moment Um, to talk about another amazing podcast. So we love promoting strong women on this show. And Mallory, you're the host of the Those Other Girls podcast. Tell us, who are Those
1: Other Girls? So, Those Other Girls, um, we are a podcast that is not like other pop culture podcasts. Um, We talk about pop culture, career, relationships, life, Um, all of these topics and everything in between from the Christian conservative perspective. So we will talk about um, Met Gala outfits and then another episode we'll talk about um, birth control. (laughs) And um, so the idea of the podcast is to be in the space that other pop culture podcasts are, but we're just giving a different perspective. So for example, back to the life issue um, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, you're favorite podcast probably did an episode about how oh this is terrible and um you've heard pop culture podcast uh this is terrible and um oh it's so awful women we're we're in change as handmaids tell but not those other girls we did an episode on what this means the truth we debunk some of the questions that people, some of the false things that were going around on social media. Um, so that's really our purpose. And it's just, we want to talk about culture, but we also want to change culture. So we also, like I said, we talk about abortion. We've talked about birth control. We've talked about um, human trafficking, mm-hmm. some things that we can do and be proactive. Uh, just all of the things. Yeah,
0: oh, I love it. And there's such a need in that space to have strong voices of women who are conservative who hold to those traditional values um how can we listen
1: you can listen any and everywhere you listen to podcasts we're on apple Podcasts, spotify amazon radio public anywhere you listen to podcasts someone tagged us in something and i was like i didn't even know this was podcast uh (laughs) network but you can listen there too and we're also on youtube as well Awesome,
0: and I encourage all of our listeners to follow you on Instagram at those other
2: girls podcast. Um, okay, all right, so we're going to jump back into it. On Monday, The Atlantic published a piece titled "Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty" by Emily Oster and a resounding no
0: went up from social media (laughs) and here's why so let me read a portion of this article it says we have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty we can leave out the willful purveyors of actual misinformation while forgiving the hard calls that people had no choice but to make with imperfect knowledge and she goes on to say we need
2: to forgive the attacks too And she ended the piece by saying, the standard saying is that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. But dwelling on the mistakes of history can lead to a repetitive doom loop as well. Let's acknowledge that we made complicated choices in the face of deep uncertainty and then try to work together to build back and move forward.
0: All right. So, I have thoughts on this piece. I know you all too due to a lot of Americans had thoughts uh, and that they freely shared on social media. So, Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA, he tweeted in response, "No pandemic amnesty. They want us to forget every business shuttered, every student suicide, every grandparent who spent their final hours isolated and alone, and every career and family wrecked." by the useless vax mandate we demand accountability not amnesty Alyssa, the patriot mama responded on twitter never forget their insanity no pandemic amnesty ever and dr Howman david hamadi he tweeted in response to the piece sorry at emily oster you get no pandemic amnesty it's unforgivable to knowingly inflict irreparable harm against so many people particularly and kids and then say you didn't know better back then don't rewrite history be accountable okay so I feel like this this piece just it's like a pot and it took everyone's emotions and just stirred real (laughs) real hard (laughs) so Brenda let me start
2: with you what what were your thoughts on this well um I think she does have a point of people did have to make decisions with limited information throughout the pandemic. Yeah. That is that is certainly true, especially early on. But then things did evolve and we needed to respond to the facts. And some of those facts were being covered up and deliver, deliberately censored, which is concerning. And the issue I think many people have is we're still experiencing the effects of COVID, right? The, the lack of education, the, the setbacks to kids is mm-hmm. something that we need to respond to of how are we going to correct that and get these kids back on track. Those, those are real effects that are still long lasting. And then there are concerns of what do we do going forward with vaccine mandates for example are children going to be required to be vaccinated to go in school so it's it's not that we're kind of through and have adequately responded to some of the issues that covid and the response to covid brought upon the american public Mm
0: -hmm. well and it, it really is a situation where um there there is a danger in forgetting and moving on too mm-hmm. quickly um because like i mean she says it in the piece you know we we often say you know those who forget history are doomed to repeat it and she sort of brushes that side and says but you yeah. know but no that that really is the truth and um to think that another situation like this couldn't happen again is foolhardy we have to learn from the mistakes we have to learn from what happened And I think, Brenda, yes, like, there's a place for recognizing, like, yeah, there totally were people that made um, decisions with the right heart but just didn't know any better. I think there's a place for forgiveness, but we can't forget because then that places us in jeopardy. But, um, Mallory, I would love to get your thoughts on whether you think, like, is, is there a place for pandemic amnesty in any way?
1: So I agree with everything you both just said. Um, I think that first month nobody really knew what was going on. Yeah, I remember when I heard it was in the U.S. I was like, "That's weird." Didn't think <laughs> twice, and then I was in uh, grad school, and they said, "All right, you guys pack up and leave." And then I was like, "Oh wait, this is actually is serious." So that first two weeks, specifically in March, or the last two weeks in March, I remember being like, "Oh my goodness, is this a?" Because you know you're watching the news, and they had like the ticker on um my great grandmother she was 104 mm. you know we couldn't see her anymore so it was i was like oh goodness this is serious and then you know after a while once we got more information once we started to learn a little bit more about it it was just kind of like okay this is serious people did die but it's not to the level that they're making it out to be um then it was just kind of like you know seen on the news people were really mean to people people were very yeah. like I mean, I just remember like this lady, she was screaming at a kid that bumped into her kid in the park or something like that. And it's like, Whoa, calm down. Like you, it's okay. And you're also outside. So everything is fine. (laughs) Mm. So when it comes to that stuff, like, you know, that first month, everyone's afraid we didn't know what was going on. Okay. You know, it's, maybe amnesty is available there unless you were just acting really crazy. If you're acting very crazy, you know, forgiveness, but also like you need to take a look at yourself as a human. Like, why are you treating other humans this way? Yeah. But then after that first month, like it just started to get really outrageous how people were acting and how they were treating people. And we kind of can still see the effects of that now. Um, I was in D.C. last year for like a weekish. And I remember being in D.C. like three years ago, how there are people on the streets all the time. Everybody was, I don't know, it was just it was a different vibe post-pandemic. I think because people have just become a little bit more sheltered and people mm-hmm. are kind of a little bit meaner. I remember also being on a plane. Um, I think it was like July 2020. And in the line, this lady was like freaking out on this other person. And, this par- and I had never seen anything like that before. People were just so like tense and angry and scared and it was just a lot so i think that we can't forget because i think we can forgive sure because you know you're supposed to forget as a christian you're supposed to forgive but i think we can't forget (laughs) that because we don't want to go back to that i mean like she said like you said um those who forget history are doomed to repeat it so we can't forget but we we can forgive we just we can't forget i don't think there's room for um like what charlie said there's no no room for amnesty we need accountability so like if you were Mm -hmm. that person that was yelling at a kid at the park you know let's be accountable to that let's apologize let's say hey i've reevaluated my humanity i did not i should not have done that you know
0: yeah so yeah well I, i i think that level of accountability um it like it's certainly true for everyone i i think for our lawmakers and for that media like mm-hmm. those are two groups that mm. were really really critical in spreading a, a ton of uh a fear that just was unnecessary um and in really i think dividing the country and putting people into two very separate groups of saying you know either yeah. you're a pro-mask or an anti masker or you're pro-vax or anti-vax and that's that's where there really has to be accountability. Because if, if we don't hold those those institutions, if we don't hold our media, we don't hold our lawmakers accountable, it will repeat. We will find ourselves in these situations again. Uh, and so th- that's where I feel like the needle really does have to move. And uh, But I'm I'm all for yeah for for your neighbor who you know like wouldn't talk to you for a year because you know you yeah. were a threat to them. <laughs> Work on forgiving your neighbor. That that is important, right? <laughs> we got to do that. Yeah. So
2: and, I would I would totally agree. There was a lack of civility mm-hmm. during the pandemic, mm-hmm. which I don't know that we've fully recovered from because people mm-hmm. started looking upon their fellow citizens as dangerous enemies, yeah. right? Who mm-hmm. could spread a a disease to them and really reacting in that way. But there's also, to to your point, Virginia, about the special place of the media and politicians, there's more information that is still coming out. So we just learned a few weeks back, for example, that the vaccine, the company has never tested to see if it prevented a vaccinated individual from spreading COVID to another person. Mm-hmm. They never tested that. That was being pushed By the media and by politicians, I mean, Joe Biden himself, President Joe Biden himself said that if you are vaccinated, you're not going to get it and you're not going to spread it to anyone else. And that just wasn't true. And a lot of people decided to get vaccinated based on that information and based on the assumption that this had been tested by the vaccine companies, and they never did. And we were just learning that a few weeks ago. Mm,
1: Just unbelievable. Wow. It is, and I guess, and this is kind of like a random or a question for I guess everybody. Mm-hmm. How are we gonna hold the media accountable? Like because when you said they made the uh pro mask and anti mask teams that or pro vax and anti vax, that's so true. Because I think, I think the average person didn't necessarily really care that much what you did, but because the media was so one or the other you kind of felt like you had to pick a side so how are we going to hold them accountable like what could we do yeah i i think as
0: someone who works in the media it's so critical to uncover the truth like brenda you were mm-hmm. saying for 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 those reports that come out where you can say wait uh you know we have politicians literally quote them saying the the vaccine will prevent you from passing covid on to other people And then you can say, oh, no, 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 the actual research was never done on that. And no one had any idea. The scientists had no idea. So when you expose darkness when you bring light in and that's ultimately that's what good reporting looks like that's what Mm -hmm. good news what good journalism is is just allowing the light to shine bringing things to the surface exposing lies and the more and more we can do that whether you're a podcaster or talking with friends or sharing things on social media I think that does create that accountability because then journalists know okay I can't get away with spreading misinformation. Um, or even you know for, for journalists who who didn't know, maybe it wasn't at all their intention to spread misinformation, to spread lies about COVID. Um, but you know, they, they weren't checking. They weren't fact checking. They weren't making sure that their sources had the right information clearly. And so when you expose the truth, then I, I think they'll think twice next time before they just jump on the bandwagon of whatever narrative is being put out there. But I know we could. This is a this is a big topic, obviously, for all of us (laughs) and for the nation. (laughs) So we could we could just keep talking about this. But I I, want to get to Brenda, our last conversation, because you have been writing and researching on a really critical topic for quite some time here at the Heritage Foundation. Um, And right now you have just come out with a piece that is all about a very important house That has gone woke and this is not just any house this is the home of james madison we're talking about montpelier in virginia so brenda you you wrote this piece for the federalists you've talked a little bit about it on the show before but share with us
2: what is happening here right so montpelier has completely changed the narrative of how our history is presented currently at montpelier there are no exhibits on James Madison. At, at his own home. There's at, nothing about him. There there are no exhibits That's dedicated crazy. to him. Wow. Um, you learn about Madison a little bit during the house tour. The house tour is focused on some biographical information about James and Dolly Madison, a bit on the Constitution, and then on the enslaved people as well. There's a brief video in the Visitor Center that talks about his three big ideas, but also labels Madison a slave owner and the constitution racist Mm. and then all of the exhibits are dedicated to slavery and jim crow there's one archaeological exhibit but none of them are dedicated to james madison and the sole exhibit on the constitution is part of the slavery exhibit and attempts to paint the constitution as a pro-slavery document and kind of imply that slavery is at the heart of our economy in the United States and at the, the driving force behind our laws. So it's really a critical race theory narrative that they are pushing as putting slavery at the center rather than placing it as something that contradicted our principles and that generations of Americans contributed to eliminating and contributed to promoting a fuller realization of our principles. It's not a question of do we talk about slavery. I think everyone agrees that's part of our history and Mm -hmm. we should talk about it, but that doesn't mean that we diminish James Madison and his many accomplishments. James Madison is the father of the Constitution, Mm -hmm. and so that's really important. And this latest piece, what has come out is that the leaders at Montpelier are attempting to get 850 square miles of Virginia land from Montpelier to Monticello, Declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which would have a lot of implications. And it has also come out in the research that I did, and as well, Quinn Hillier at the Washington Examiner did an investigative story that the leaders are really pushing it. The current chairman of the board at Montpelier said that people come there to worship a president and a document, and that they should leverage the meaning that Montpelier holds for the nation and for the world and reinterpret an iconic institution and challenge its history. And their long-standing director of archaeology also said that he has no interest in honoring a dead white president and a dead white president's constitution and that he needed to act less like a bulldozer and more like a termite that undermined a building's foundation, destroying it from within before tearing it down. So I think those are really revealing comments of what they are trying to do. These folks are really radical and trying to transform the country by replacing our history with an alternative distorted version of our history to make Americans actually Think that their country is unlovable. Yeah, you
0: know I, I think we can hear this and we can sort of think, well, you know that's happening at you know this house, this historic home in Virginia, and and not fully recognize the implications. But what what is you know if we kind of zoom out like what is the the bigger picture? Do you all think of when we have something um, as historic as a home like Montpelier, where the narrative is shifting, and facts are being really Mm hand-selected. Mallory, I'd love to get your thoughts.
1: Um, This is sad to me, Um, and it's also shocking, because like you said, sometimes you think, well, this isn't really affecting me, like where I am right now. But like you said, when you zoom out, there's kind of a bigger hand in this, and there's probably... A lot more things behind the scenes that we just don't know mm-hmm. um so i think that and um when brenda was reading she made a good point no one is saying that slavery didn't happen it's not that we shouldn't talk about slavery but we also should talk about the other aspects and i um i love america personally i love america i am very i feel very blessed be an american i have traveled to many countries outside of america and i just recognize like how what a blessing it is to have an american passport like i think sometimes people don't realize like even you know in our weakest darkest times we're still the greatest country that's just me being you know a true american (laughs) Um, um but and i think our constitution is very very important it is I don't want to say perfect because there's no such thing as perfect but it's probably the best constitution out there at the beginning it does say all men are created equal and um i believe it was mark robinson i heard him say once in a speech that like you know at the time the people who did write the constitution many of them had slaves they didn't necessarily believe that but the constitution which is inspired by god which is inspired by a lot of things from the bible the constitution says like the constitution is what we're going by. And if we go by that, all men are created equal. If we think about it from that aspect, if we think about the other things in the constitution, it's a really good document. It's for everyone. Mm. Um, and I resent the fact that people think um, that, well, minorities, it wasn't made with you in mind. It says all men are created equal. And I was born in this soil. I'm an American. This applies to me just as much as it applies to other people. So I think this revisionist history that people are trying to do where they only talk about the negatives and they, you know, take bits and pieces of it. I think it's part of a larger discussion of people maybe not people not appreciating what they have or people just being angry about a situation. So they're just making it. I, I don't know. Like I, I guess that's the other thing too. I'm having a hard time understanding why people would want to do something like this. Why they would want to erase um, this founding figure, yes, there are things, the slavery aspect, you know, obviously that's something that is important to me to discuss and to have, um, a discussion around, but that's not the full, um, scope of everything that James Madison did, and I, I guess I just, I have a hard time, like, I don't understand why someone would just want to talk about the slavery aspect, because there's so much more, this country is so much bigger than slavery, like, black african-american people we are so much more than just slaves that like our history is so much richer um Mm. and i can go on and on about that and about like movies and things like that but like it's so much more than that why can't we talk about other aspects of it too um why can't we talk about or why can't we discuss the constitution and read it for what it is instead of like trying to interpret every little tiny piece okay well when they said this this meant this and so, yeah, I guess that's, that's my thoughts. They were kind of jumbled, but it, this is just so, it, as someone who loves America, someone who enjoys history, this is so discouraging to hear that people are fighting so hard to do, to erase such an important piece of history. Yeah.
2: So I, I do want to push back against uh, one thing that you said, a gentleman said to you, which was that the founders didn't believe in all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. I think they did. Think, uh, if you yeah, I'm at, sorry. Oh, that's okay. what I
1: meant to say. That they believed in it, but at that time they were doing things that did not represent that. If they had slavery if mm. they had slaves, yeah. yeah,
2: it was not that idea was not realized at the time. Because yes, of slavery, yes, that's of what course, I meant to say.
1: But yeah, yeah.
2: So I w- I would say that of why this is happening, I think history matters, and yeah. an indication of that is to look at the forces behind this. It looks to me very clearly like. Montpelier worked very closely with the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is a group that has been terribly discredited because they Uh. just label people that they disagree with essentially as hate groups. Mm -hmm. Um, It is also the National Trust for Historic Preservation that owns Montpelier, took funds from Mackenzie Scott, who is Jeff Bezos, ex-wife, Ford Foundation, Kulit, and George Soros. Mm. So there's a lot of very powerful, very influential individuals behind this. On their board sits Merrick Garland, as well as the Secretary of the Interior. So this is a deliberate effort from people who think that this matters. And I think part of the reason for that is so many people will say, I remember my field trip as a child Mm. going to Mount Vernon or going to Montpelier and being in that room where James Madison wrote and thought about the Constitution surrounded by these wonderful books and how impactful for them that was, Mm. that it stuck in their mind. And now, unfortunately, kids are going to go to Montpelier and they're going to hear a narrative about why America is unlovable In one of the videos, they contend that America has more defeats than victories in pursuit of justice and fairness Mm -hmm. and equality. And that's just not true. That is not a version of American history that most Americans would recognize. And the sole exhibit that Montpelier has that is aimed at children is aimed at teaching children about race and slavery. Mm -hmm. And how they recommend doing that in part is through children's books, all eight of which that they feature are recommended by the Southern Poverty Law Center in their curriculum. And one of these books, for example, one's a wonderful telling of Frederick Douglass and the love between a mother and son. But in another one, you open up and there are imagination exercises for black kids and white kids. Mm. And they encourage children to imagine themselves not as the victim, but as the aggressor, Mm. whipping an individual until Mm -hmm. he is bloodied. And with that text is an accompanied an image of a hanged man Mm. hanging from a rope Mm. with his back bloodied with lash marks. Mm. And this is what is being presented to our children. This is what they're being told about America and this is impactful for them to go to a place like James Madison's home and see this yeah
0: I know I think we can all remember field trips that yeah we took as a child that we still remember to this day but
1: Mallory I don't want to interrupt you jump in Sorry, I was just gonna say I just don't understand like what is the purpose I and I mean I guess there doesn't necessarily have to be this big grand purpose but why would you show a child that why would you want a child to feel to think from the mindset of an oppressor that i don't right that just I blows think, my mind these
2: folks <laughs> they mm-hmm.
1: really want to transform america that is that is
2: the ultimate goal of if you present these principles as unlovable the principles of the declaration and the constitution itself these are unlovable mm-hmm. because the founders wrote these things and the founders were terrible individuals and we have nothing to be grateful them for and the constitution itself is tainted by these ideas and the declaration is tainted and if you can taint them sufficiently to the point where americans are willing to let them go Hmm. That these are no longer things worth defending, hmm. mm. then you open up the possibility for those things to be replaced by something else, something yeah. like Marxism or critical race theory. I think that's the ultimate goal here. Wow. Well,
0: we're going to leave um, a link, Brenda, to your piece in the show notes from the Federalist. Uh, so anyone who wants to read it and learn more about this topic can and dive in a little bit deeper. Uh, But I want to thank both of you for joining the show today. This has been so fun to have you both on. Brenda, love having you back. And Mallory, thanks for joining us for the first time. Again, I want to encourage all of our listeners, check out your podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow Those Other Girls podcast on Instagram. Thank you both.
1: Thank you so much. This was great.
0: My pleasure. All right. Well, stay tuned because up next, we crown our problematic woman of the week. Today, news you can trust feels like a rarity. That's why the Daily Signal podcast releases a top news edition every weekday at 5 p.m. Whether driving home from work, fixing dinner, or picking the kids up from soccer practice, you can stay informed on the headlines you care about. Every show is quick and succinct. Designed to keep you up to speed on the issues that actually matter. Catch our top news edition right here in your Daily Signal podcast feed every evening. Or listen first thing in the morning before catching the day's interview. And be sure to subscribe on the Daily Signal podcast so you never miss an episode. Now it is that time once again, one of our favorite times of the week. Time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And this week, the crown goes to Macy Petty. So Macy Petty is a young pro-life activist. She was at the Supreme Court when Roe v. Wade was struck down. And in that moment, she wept. She was so overwhelmed with the joy and emotion of what had just happened, that after 63 million lives had been lost to abortion, America was finally taking this amazing step to protect life. And that overwhelmed Macy to the point of tears. And if you remember earlier in the show, we, we talked a little bit about California as one of of the three states that has a ballot amendment on the ballot this year to add language to the state constitution saying that there is a right to abortion within their constitution. And pro-abortion folks in California who are backing this amendment, they have ads running to promote it. And one of those ads happens to include some footage of Macy crying at the Supreme Court when Roe v. Wade was overturned. But They frame it as her being sad in that moment when actually she was overwhelmed and overjoyed to the point of tears. They got this very wrong. Macy's calling them out on it. So here, take a listen to just a portion of this ad and what it said.
2: When this happened, we got mad, sad, scared.
0: All right. So w- when they say we got sad, that's when they have footage of Macy crying. And it's just classic radical left that it doesn't occur to them that a woman could actually be overjoyed to the point of tears because Roe v. Wade was struck down. They just made an assumption that she was upset. So Macy is speaking out. She is not going silent on this one. And she's calling out Hillary Clinton. She's calling out California Governor Gavin Newsom for misrepresenting her. They are both two people that are really backing and vocal on this ballot amendment and she's saying no so she wrote an open letter macy wrote an open letter posted it on twitter to hillary clinton and gavin newsom she writes i strongly oppose prop one do not include me in your efforts to further manipulate women and violently take life from the most vulnerable and innocent among us earlier this week many shared this video with me The list includes both Hillary Clinton and Gavin Newsom. I demand you remove me from the Yes to Prop 1 campaign video and further pro-abortion materials. I will not stand by as you use my face, my tears, and my passion in a way that promotes demonic activity. Wow, she does not mince words in that one. Macy definitely earned that crown this week thank you macy for speaking out for being a problematic woman for putting your foot down and saying no you can't manipulate my own tears literally uh, for your own purposes so congratulations to macy for being our well-deserving problematic woman of the week all right but we are going to leave it there for this week's edition of problematic women join us on tuesday morning for a brand new edition and of course again on Thursday for a brand new edition. We'll be back with more commentary. But in the meantime, please subscribe and share as conservatives. Whew. We need your support in the podcast world. And so we so appreciate when you take the time to leave us one of those five-star reviews and ratings. We love reading your feedback, hearing what you have to say. It's so, so helpful for us. And of course, you can also always reach out to us on Instagram at Women if you ever have thoughts or things that you say, hey, I would love to hear you guys talk about this subject. So love to connect with you all there, but have a great rest of your week. Remember to vote on Tuesday and we'll see you right back here Tuesday for an interview edition. And then again on
2: Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.
0: It is a product of the Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram.
2: We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.